0: We are wrapping up our study here, and this message today is uh, going to be packed full of truth. I hope you'll follow along with me. And uh, today's message is more informational. Um, Actually, the last couple of Sundays have been that. We are studying through 1 Corinthians 14. And before I get into the message today, I will tell you this series is coming to an end. There's going to be a couple of things coming up here. This uh, uh, month, in fact, uh, on December the 23rd, I'm going to give you a couple of announcements before I get into my sermon here. On December the 23rd at 9.30 a.m., we're going to have our Christmas celebration here at Fairview. Hope you'll make plans to attend, invite family and friends and neighbors and co-workers. I'm looking forward to preaching this message, The Three Trees of Christmas. Cannot wait to share the truth of the gospel in that. We'll have some special music that day as well, but that's on December the 23rd. And then starting on January the 6th, that is our first service of the new year, will be in this series entitled Transformed, How the Gospel Changes Us As We Follow Jesus. I don't know if you can see that subtitle up there above it, but How the Gospel Changes Us As We Follow Jesus. And really, at the beginning of the year, I want to just re-emphasize our mission and vision that we have been given to us by, by the Lord to make disciples who are transformed by the grace of God. And so I hope you'll join me in that study as we'll be in that for four weeks and then we'll be looking at some other series throughout the year, some special things planned for next year. So hope that you'll make plans to be a part of all of that, put that on your calendar. Also, with the calendar, Pastor Donald mentioned this at the end of the service, but I'll go ahead and say it as well. We've got monthly calendars now that you can pick up and avail yourself of so you know what all is going on in the ministry to better communicate what is coming up on the calendar so that you can be here and not miss anything, right? Because you just can't wait to be. The church and be here with your church family I don't know about you but I need this every week I need to be a part of my church family I need to hear you sing these songs thank you for ministering to me today but ultimately thank you for worshiping the Lord through the singing um, so at this time we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14 and the message today is entitled tongue twisters now it's not what you're thinking about you know sea seashells sea by the seashore It's it's not that. We're talking about speaking in tongues, from 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm about to show you a video to give you an idea of how mainstream charismatic theology thinks that speaking in tongues is done and 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 how it's supposed to be and this video again might hit you from one of two different perspectives you might have grown up in a culture where you heard this all the time so this might seem very normal or common to you but i'm going to assume that many of you did not grow up in a charismatic or a pentecostal upbringing and so you will come at this from wow that's that that looks very strange and very troubling but i want you to see this video to give you context for what we're going to talk about here this morning And that is here in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's addressing of the misuse of the gift of tongues. And so with that said, we'll go ahead and roll that video. And I'm going to get this TV on here too if I can. Here here it is. Oh, that's real. This is real. This is real. This is real. That's it. That's it. That's it. That is a whole new level of breakthrough in your life tonight. A whole new level of breakthrough in your life tonight. If you don't open your mouth, the Holy Spirit can't talk. Alright, now I want everyone to raise your hands and we're gonna pray in tongues. Hallelujah. Let's do it. Oh, we love you, Jesus. So koho rashada Hopefully that got your attention. This is how most mainstream charismatic theology thinks that speaking in tongues was done in the Bible. And so I hope that today's message will be instructive and helpful to us as we look at this interesting practice that is done today and compare it with Scripture as we look at this issue of speaking in tongues. Last week we looked at a more broad message on. Uh, the spiritual sign gifts of healing prophecy and today we dig more into this issue of tongues, since that's the main one that Paul is addressing here in 1st Corinthians chapter number 14 and so the question this morning as we look at we're actually going to start by way of introduction in Acts chapter 2 and look at the first mention of tongues in the New Testament. And then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14 for the remainder of our message. So it's going to be almost a message with two halves, okay? So just to get you prepared. And really, the second half, it looks like there's a lot, but we'll go through those 10 principles very quickly. But we're going to look in Acts 2 and also 1 Corinthians 14. And the question today is Is speaking in tongues still for today? And there's a lot of questions around that question. What was the gift of tongues? Was it what we just saw on the video? or was it something else and then if the speaking in tongues is still for today then how should it be practiced so there's a lot of different questions here that we hope to gain a better understanding of and again this message is more of a teaching more informational but I do think that there's some transformational truths that we can apply to our life as we get to the end of this teaching today and so is speaking in tongues still for today Um, is what we just saw in this video. Was that what was being practiced in the first century church? Um, Can God still use the gift of languages today if he so chose to do? Well, let me just remind you of what we mentioned last week on our position on all the sign gifts. And uh, all the sign gifts being prophecy, healings, gift of tongues, uh, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, What is our position on those? Well, number one, God can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. He's able to do whatever he wants to do. And so we are open because God is able to do whatever he wants to do. But we're also skeptical of prophets, healers, and miracle workers today. Why? Well, we're skeptical because of the third point. We don't see them resembling biblical patterns. So we're open because, well, God can do whatever he wants. However, he's also given to us his word and says that he's magnified his word above his very name, so he limits himself according to his word as well. And so we're skeptical of prophets, healers, and miracle workers for the very fact that most of what you see today in mainstream uh, television Christianity and, and what's out there is not following biblical patterns. And so what was the gift of tongues in the first century? How was it used in the church? How is it misused? And why was Paul addressing this? And in fact, keep this in mind, and I'll know I'll mention this later, but I want to go ahead and put it out there, The only time Paul even gives instructions on a sign gift, and specifically here of tongues, is only in 1 Corinthians 14. There's no other place in all of his writings that he even addresses this. So we have to keep that in mind as we seek to rightly divide the word of truth. One of my main goals as your pastor is for you to better understand how to study your Bible so that you can apply it to your life and live out the gospel. And so with all that said, why are we open? Why are we open to... Uh, to 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 anything that God can do. Well, number one, the Bible never says explicitly that these gifts are not for today. What does that mean? Could God give to someone the supernatural gift of speaking in another language to a tribe who doesn't have the gospel yet? He could. I've not ever heard of that happening, but he could. And so, uh, I'm not going to say that God can't do it. There are. There, there's one passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that we studied a few weeks ago that some would make the case that all the sign gifts have ceased because we now have the full revelation of God's word, and that is a potential argument. But the Bible never says explicitly that these things are not for today. Number two, number two, God can do whatever he wants to do. And so we're open. However, we're also skeptical on this issue of tongues because, number one, tongues were a specific spiritual gift. Tongues were a specific spiritual gift. If you look over in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, it says, But all these worketh that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Why is that important that I state that tongues were a specific gift? Because in most mainstream charismatic theology today, they will tell you that everyone has to speak in tongues. In fact, there are some Pentecostal uh, streams of theology today that would say, unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. But see, by this very evidence in Scripture, the gift of tongues was not given to everyone. It was given to some people. And so tongues were a specific spiritual gift. Uh, only some will have this gift, but certainly not everyone. Number two, its purpose. The, the whole get purpose of the gift of tongues in the Bible was to make more and better disciples of others. You see, most modern-day charismatics would say that this is primarily a private gift that is used as a prayer language to God. But the reality is, is our gifts were not given to us for us. They were given to us to make more and better disciples of others. And so tongues were a specific spiritual gift, and then number two, tongues were real languages. If you go to Acts chapter 2, and we're not going to be there long, but I do want you to turn there and see the first mention of the gift of tongues in the New Testament. This is very important. This is one of these uh, study interpretation principles called the Law of First mention. What that means is is that the first time something is mentioned in Scripture typically is very helpful for you understanding going forward its use and its understanding and its application throughout Scripture. And so with this law first mentioned, where it's first mentioned in Acts chapter number 2, tongues, the gift of tongues, was a real language that other people understood. Go back there to Acts chapter 2. Let's just read this story quickly by way of kind of the first half of our message here, setting the understanding that tongues were a real language. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost." And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Now that was not a... um, A kind term. They were basically referring to these men as ignorant men. They were were referring to these men from a certain area of Israel, and they were not known for their intellectual prowess. So they would look at these men and say, okay, these men have not been to university to learn these languages. How would they know to speak in our our tongue? And, and, And what you had here on the day of Pentecost were Jews who were coming from all parts of the known world at that time for this pilgrim feast, the Feast of Pentecost. It was one of the Jewish feasts. And so you had Jewish people from all different parts of the world speaking different languages, and God gave the disciples here on the day of Pentecost the gift of tongues, known languages. In fact, the Greek word for tongue here is glosa. And nowhere in the New Testament is it ever meant to be translated as some unknown angelic prayer language. It's always a foreign language known to somebody, maybe not known to the writer or the listener there, but known to someone. And so here in Acts chapter 2, we see that these tongues were real languages. If you look at verses 8 through 11, it says, How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? It's as if the Spirit wants to make sure we get this, that, that this gift, this gift of tongues, was a foreign language. It was used in missionary work. Man, wouldn't it be great if missionaries didn't have to go to language school for three or four years Our our missions team would say a hearty amen to that at this point, right? Because our missionaries, a a lot of our support in getting them to the field is them going to language school. Wouldn't that be neat if uh, God just gave them the gift of Spanish? God did not give me the gift of Spanish. I took two years in high school, and I still only know Donde Esta el baño, which means where's the bathroom. But anyway, so these were real languages, and these men heard all these things. This was a missionary gift. Verse 9, and so it lists all these different nations here. And then it says in verse 11, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So these were real languages. Number two, these were miraculous. They were, th- 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 there was a miraculous aspect of this. You could hear the wonder in their voices. They said, whoa, how is this? This gift of tongues gave them pause to stop and listen to the message that that tongue was proclaiming. And what it did was, is it resulted In massive repentance by those observing it. If you look over at verses 41 and 42 here in Acts chapter 2, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and prayers. And so, why are we skeptical of the modern-day tongues movement? Because you do not see that they're real languages... You actually have lost people going into some of those services. And and, and in fact, if you come back tonight, I'll show you a clip of a lost individual who went into one of these services and they walked out because they were weirded out as to what was going on. And it did not draw them closer to the gospel. It pushed them away from the gospel. And so tonight we're going to go into a little bit more of the history of the modern-day tongues movement. In fact, do you realize that the modern-day tongues movement didn't come on the scene until 1901 in Topeka, Kansas, of all places? In 1901, at Bethel College in Topeka, Kansas, is where this modern-day tongues movement sprang from. And I cannot wait to share with you some of the historical findings that I studied this week. Didn't have time to include them in the morning sermon, so come back tonight at 5 p.m. for an appendix, a follow-up, if you will, of the modern-day tongues movement and a little bit of more of the history. And so, if this is what tongues really is, if tongues were a foreign language, if it was a missional gift given to the first century church— And if this gift was undeniable, even by those who are unbelievers, because there at Pentecost, they were unbelievers, they didn't know Jesus, but they're like, whoa, this is truly miraculous. And if this gift resulted in massive repentance by those observing it, then you have to ask yourself the question, is this how we see the gift of tongues being practiced today? Is this what we saw with our eyes and heard with our ears in the video that we watched? You see, because if you look at it and you study this out in the Word, I loved what Jessica and Rachel both said today. If there's anything that I hope my messages do for you on a Sunday morning is they challenge your thinking and they get you to go home and open your Bible and study your Bible. That's the goal. My goal isn't here every week to just try to entertain you, to, to uh, just motivate you to go out and do better. and try hard. My goal is for you to go home and fall in love with this book. This is really only, I mean, this is one hour, right? But, but the goal is for you to study the Word. And, and if you really study the Word here in this issue of speaking in tongues, you'll find out that they were real languages that the speakers did not know. They were real languages that the speakers who were writing the, the passages might not have known, but they were known to other people from these other areas of the world. And so, we are skeptical because tongues were a specific spiritual gift. They weren't given to everybody. And yet a lot of pressure is put on people in these churches to produce this gift. In fact, if you caught in that one segment of that video, there was a lady who was teaching kids how to speak in tongues. Wait, I thought that was a spiritual gift. You don't have to teach people how to do it if it's a spiritual gift. But she started to, you know, roll her tongue and say these things. And tongues were real languages. And so, as I mentioned to you earlier, in all of Paul's epistles, and there's a debate on whether Paul wrote the book of Hebrews or not, but let's just put it up there just in case, but in in all these letters that Paul wrote, there's only one book that he wrote that mentions this issue of tongues and it's 1 Corinthians. I wonder why. I wonder why. Well, we'll get there in a second. In fact... Why would he not have mentioned it in 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy? These were three letters written to pastors who were planting churches. You would think that if this issue of tongue speaking was so vital in planting and establishing churches, that Paul would have mentioned it even one time to these pastors who were planting churches. Now, again, some would say, well, this is an argument from silence. I know that, but it's an argument all the same. And it's something that we add into our understanding as we seek to rightly divide the word of truth. And so our position on the sign gifts is, listen, God can do whatever he wants to do. Have I seen unexplainable things in my life? Yes. Were many of those providential? And last week, if you were here, we talked about the difference between providence and a miracle. And unfortunately, those words get confused very easily. So go back and listen to that sermon last week to help. But listen, can God do whatever he wants? Yes. And so we're open, but we're also skeptical of prophets, healers, and miracle workers today because we do not see them following biblical patterns. And so isn't it interesting that Paul writes all these letters and only mentions it one time in 1 Corinthians, and then he writes for another 10 years all these other epistles and never mentions it again. And so... I just want to share this truth with you, and that's this. And this is one of these practical applications. If there's something that you can take and apply today from this message, it's this. One of the signs of Christian maturity is the ability to disagree with other Christians on secondary matters without vilifying them. Um, I have friends who are in the charismatic stream of Christianity. And they will tell you that their tongue-speaking experience was real. They felt that it was very real. There is no doubt that there is a very powerful uh, effect that feelings can have on your body. And I have friends who would, who, would, who would say, No, Brian, I spoke in tongues. I know I did. And you know what? I disagree with, with their understanding and their application of that gift. But I'm not going to vilify them. Because that issue of speaking in tongues is secondary to the issue of the gospel. Now, I would say, I would take issue with, with, with anyone though who would say, Well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Well, that's a work then. And therefore, you're confusing the gospel. But I think this is something that all of us need to just read a couple of times and say, you know what? One of the signs of Christian maturity is the ability to disagree with other Christians on secondary matters without vilifying them. I'm just going to tell you, I think social media has created so much consternation, even within Christianity, on this issue. It's like if we don't agree on every little thing, We get all worked up into big battles can i just challenge all of us just to live lighter (laughs) it's okay god's going to figure it all out in the end for us all he'll he'll straighten us all out can we focus on loving one another in the midst of our differences you see i can love my my, uh, brothers and sisters in christ who might see differently from me on this issue i hope that we all can and i hope that we can all grow in this area and and it's not that we do all this perfectly. I understand we all have to draw it back in sometimes. And so while I might disagree with charismatics on this issue, I have great love for many people in the movement. There's a group of charismatics they are theologically more conservative, and I have great respect and love for them. Charismatics have helped, I think, Christianity at large in one sense. I think they've, I think they've helped us to remember that loving God should include our emotions. I mean, wouldn't you say that charismatics are more in tune with their emotions than maybe other streams of Christianity? Yeah. I think that they've helped me to understand that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a stream of Christianity that was almost afraid to show any kind of emotion. I think charismatics have also been helpful in reminding us that there's a spiritual element to our world and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual warfare going on in our world. I think sometimes we're just like very intellectual, very stoic. And so I think what I'm trying to say here is that on one extreme you have an emotionalism, which would be wrong, but on the other extreme, you have stoicism, where we can't show any emotion. In fact, you know you have a God, an idol in your life if you showed more emotion yesterday from 2:30 to 6. Than you do about your justification and the finished work of Jesus Christ in your life. And I'm saying that to Auburn fans and Bama fans. It's amazing. I'm so thankful to be free from that. And so we're not here today to say you have to show a certain type of emotion in worship, but let's stop judging. Let's stop vilifying people who want to show more emotion than maybe you, or let's stop judging people who don't want to show more emotion than maybe you. So I think that's a very practical application of what we're studying today. I don't think anybody's going to break out in the gift of tongues here this morning, okay? Um, Because if you do, you better make sure you're following Scripture. You see, I'm, I'm so thankful for Scriptural authority in my life. Such a great anchor. Such a great security blanket for me. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? How does the Bible apply? Those are all important questions as we seek to be noble Bereans. And so as we look at 1 Corinthians 14, just very quickly, understand the context. So when you come to any passage in Scripture, you need to ask yourself, okay, to whom was Paul writing and why was he writing? So he was writing to the churches of Corinth. We know that. (laughs) You've been here for 28 weeks in this series, so you know that. But why was he writing? Because he was correcting the church of Corinth. So this was a corrective letter. So understanding the context of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul was correcting the misuse of spiritual gifts here in this section of his epistle. So when you read anything in 1 Corinthians 14, you need to take into context the tone of what he's saying. He's correcting a misuse and abuse of this gift. Number two, uh, and of course we mentioned this a few weeks ago, he said you had gift envy issues. If, if, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, you see that he said you have a gift envy issue, you have a gift elevation issue, and you have a gift projection issue. And so Paul lays out here this, the abuse of these spiritual gifts. So the overall tone here of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14 is not, hey, you're doing a great job, keep up the good work. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, you're doing wrong... <laughs> You're not living out the gospel in these spiritual gifts. Stop misusing them. And you know what? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I see an apostle who preached the gospel, and he got very corrective with the church here. He got very corrective with their issue of not following the gospel, living out the gospel, misusing these spiritual gifts. Of course, many other areas that he's corrected in this epistle But this one right now, he's correcting the misuse of spiritual gifts. Number two, keep in mind the influence of Delphi's ecstatic speech practices. Delphi is a city about 50 miles to the north of Corinth. And if you study out Bible history around this area, what you'll find out, and here's a picture of the city of Delphi, of course the ancient ruins. And there is a picture of the Temple to Apollo. If you study out the history of this, you'll find out that at the Temple of Apollo in Delphi, There was a lady known, a priestess, known as the Oracle of Apollo. And she was known for making ecstatic utterances of speech. She was known for speaking in random tongues, claiming that these ecstatic speeches were from Apollo. And then she would interpret those speeches for the people. This was a very emotional and it was a very influential thing that she would do. And so the people who would visit Delphi in the temple of Apollo there would go back to their own local temples of Apollo in their towns and practice this ecstatic speech in their own temples of Apollo. And there was in the temple of Apollo in Corinth. And so, the, and so keep in mind, the Christians of Corinth were very immature in many ways. And in one of the ways, they used syncretism... What is syncretism? It's where they would take something from other religions and they would add it to their practices. And so keep in mind now, so Paul is correcting an abuse. Keep in mind also the, infant, the, the, uh, the influence of other pagan religions. I mean, th- this isn't un, um, out, of, out of character with Paul because he's already mentioned another practice that they were doing in a wrong way, and that's meat sacrifice to idols. And so they had this syncretic approach And they would take other religious practices from other pagan religions and try to bring them into Christianity. We see that in many uh, mainline denominations of quote-unquote Christianity today. And then finally we see here in this letter, understanding the context, that this letter is filled with challenges, correction, sarcasm, and hyperbole. Paul does not hold back any punches here in this letter you're like, really? Yeah, I mean, have you not been paying attention? He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2, he says, Brethren, I couldn't speak unto you as, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even a baby. Paul basically told the church of Corinth they were being babies. So, so if I have to get up here some Sunday and say, stop being a baby, I've got Paul, Paul to back me up. Stop being a baby. So he said, listen, you're a baby. You're full of division. You're full of carnality. You're full of hero worship. You're fighting about things that don't matter. Uh, he said, you are, you are a babe in Christ. He would say in other areas, he would say, uh, we are made fools for Christ's sake. And, and, and uh, you, are, you, you are despising what you should be honoring and you are honoring what you should be despising. He says, you're puffed up. He says that you're coming together for your worship and it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. He says that in 11 verse 17. And so Paul uses very strong language in this epistle. And so as you take all that into view, then you get to these instructions that he's going to give for tongue speaking. So Paul is correcting an abuse and misuse. These languages were actual known languages. And so he corrects this issue with ten principles here. And we're going to go through these quickly. And so let's just look at 1 Corinthians 14. And the first issue here Paul lays out is this. He says the gift of prophecy was to be desired more than the gift of tongues. Look at verses... Uh, well, start in verse 1. He says... Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit sp- in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth a church. Now... I don't think Paul's saying here that, that speaking in the tongue should build, the other, should build that person up alone. No, what he's using is, is he's using hyperbole here. He's using sarcasm. He's saying, okay, you know, even if you could speak in an unknown tongue, which is only known to God, it's only building up yourself. It's only drawing attention to yourself. And, and that's what you see. So many times, I mean, if, if you think the purpose of our spiritual gifts is given to us to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, you've missed it. The purpose of our spiritual gifts is given to us to say, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he worthy of our devotion? You see, what you've got in these spiritual sign gifts today is you've got these MOGs, these holy men of God, so so, so they think, walking around with their entourage, their lights, their camera crew, and they can heal while they're on stage. But man, I'd love for them to go into a leper colony and heal into a cancer ward and heal. And so the purpose of our gifts, and so Paul's saying here, listen, this spiritual gift of tongues is not so that people can look at you, but he's using hyperbole here. He's saying, listen, okay, okay, this gift is to build yourself up. No, but but prophecy edifies the church. Verse 5, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. He's saying, I'd rather you prophesy, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? I love this illustration. Musicians, we would not really appreciate, it would not be edifying to the church, and I don't think it would even be edifying to you if you got up here and just played a whole bunch of random notes. Have you ever heard an orchestra warming up? It's like a cat scratching a chalkboard for me. It's like it's all out of tune. And that's what this tongues issue, that's the picture he's painting here. He's saying this this issue of this random ecstatic speech is not bringing glory to me, and it's not edifying the church. Verse 8, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by tongue words easy to be understood. Now that's an important verse, even for preachers preaching in the known English language. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Sometimes preachers use words that are hard to be understood. <laughs> we're sorry. We'll try to make sure we're not uh, using those random words. Uh, there I go, using that weird Greek word. Anyway, "...how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without, is, is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts," Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Do you see the tone here? Paul is correcting their wrong pursuit of spiritual gifts. They were pursuing these spiritual gifts so that the world would say, look at me, or, or, or even other believers, look at me, look at how important I am with this gift. And Paul's like, you're missing it. You're missing it. Verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what you're saying. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Now Paul says here, listen. Listen. I speak with tongues. Why? He was a missionary. He was giving the gospel in all parts of the world. Praise the Lord that the Spirit evidently gave him this gift to propagate the gospel. Verse 19: Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding how be it in malice be ye children but in understanding be men what's paul saying here he's saying the greater gift here is prophecy why because prophecy the proclaiming of spiritual truth to the body of christ so that they may grow that is what will transform the hearer and so what paul was addressing here was an overabundance and abuse of tongues usage here in corinth They had missed the whole point of it. They weren't even practicing tongues as it was mentioned in Acts chapter number 2. They were identifying with this pagan religion of Apollo and the city of Delphi and their influence. And they were speaking these random syllables into the air. And it was helping no one. Helping no one. And so the gift of prophecy was to be desired more than the gift of tongues. And so, do you go into a church? And so the question is, is as you see this in modern-day Christianity, if you go into a church, is the gift of tongues elevated over the gift of preaching and proclaiming the truth? If so, it's not following Scripture. Number two, tongues were given so unbelievers could hear the gospel. Tongues were given so unbelievers could hear the gospel. Look at verses 21 and 22. And the law is written, I love this, do you realize that the gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2 was prophesied in Isaiah twenty-eight eleven? 700 years before this time it was prophesied. With the men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. And so God gave this gift of tongues at Pentecost so that his people would hear the message of the gospel. Verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And so, number two here, tongues were given so unbelievers could hear the gospel. Tonight, I'll play you a clip where an unbeliever walked into a service and they ran out because this tongues practice was going on, but it did not draw them closer to the gospel. Big warning sign. Maybe we should evaluate what's going on. You see? Number three, we see here in the Scriptures that the secondary purpose of tongues was given for growth, but notice in the context. Verse 26, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, but let all things be done unto edifying. Paul's saying here, listen, I know that when you come together, you want to share what's on your heart, but the danger of you just speaking these random syllables into the air is no one can understand it, and there has to be an interpreter for that. Notice he says here, hath an interpretation, but let all things be done unto edifying. So he says again, the purpose of any of these things that you share within the body is to build up the body. Number four. No more than three people are to speak in tongues at any gathering. This is very clear. Verse 27 lays down three quick principles. It says, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at by most by three. So question. When you go into these modern day manifestations of this, how many people are doing it? Hundreds. Hundreds. Again, is that following the scripture, and we don't have any other scripture, but 1 Corinthians 14, of corrective instructions that Paul was giving to the church of Corinth on this issue. And so no more than three people are to speak of, of, in tongues at, at any gathering. Number, number five, only one person is, is to speak at a time. Look at verse 27 again. But let it be by two, or at three at the most, by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. What does that mean? Paul's saying, one at a time, please saying if this gift is going to be used. And and why would this gift of tongues, why would the true gift of a foreign language be used in a local church in that first century setting? Because there would probably be unsaved people in those gatherings. And so perhaps this gift was being manifested in the church for that purpose of bringing people to the gospel and strengthening people in the gospel. And so he says here, but let it be one at a time, please. So they can understand. And so that someone who has the gift of interpretation can then interpret what had been said. And so each person must speak one one at a time. And then verse 27 also says, each tongue speaking must be interpreted. So it says there in verse 27, that by course and let one interpret. So as, as you lay down these principles, ask yourself the question, is this how this is being practiced today? We see here number 6. Any confusion or disorder was an indication that something did not come from God. Look over at verses uh, 34, excuse me, 29 through 33. Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye all prophesy one by one. That's good too. So so basically you can only have one preacher preaching at a time <laughs> that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And so if you go into a gathering and there's all these random ecstatic utterances being spoken into the air, is that confusion or is that clarity? That's confusion because no one knows what's going on. Let all things be done decent and in order, verse 40 says. And notice, that's a verse that we quote a lot, and that's a good verse. I mean, we can quote it for a lot of different situations, but notice the context. The context is Paul saying, this issue is disorderly. This issue of tongue speaking, you have people randomly speaking at all different times in the service. There's no one interpreting. And he says, stop it. Let all things be done decent and in order. Interesting. Number seven, women's roles were limited with tongues and prophecy. And this is a fascinating one because if you look at this verse, hold your place here and turn back to 1 Corinthians 11:5. Look at this. Look at this. you got to see this. Because this is where, if you're studying the Word, you got to deal with these questions, right? So it says here women's roles were limited with tongues and prophecy, but look back at verse 5 of chapter 11. How many of y'all remember that sermon on head coverings? Wasn't your soul just blessed? You know? Anyway, look back at this, and, and if you didn't hear that, go back and check it out. Verse 5, But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. So, here in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's saying that women do prophesy and pray publicly. But, the, but she just needs to make sure that she has her head covered. But here in chapter 14, he says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. Uh, they're, they're in verse 34. So why would it seem that Paul says here not to do this, but back in chapter 11 he says, okay, do it, but as you do it, make sure your head's covered. Is there a contradiction there? No, I don't think so. When you study the context that there were women priestesses of Apollo who were doing this ecstatic speech utterances in their pagan religion, and Paul did not want the women to bring confusion to this issue on speaking in tongues. He did not want Christian women speaking in a known but maybe unknown language to the people there, a foreign language, and people assuming, oh, well, this is like Apollo worship. Do you see that? Now, there's other issues here about biblical authority and roles in the church. We don't have time to go into that today. But it's interesting as you compare this passage with 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5. It seems to be contradictory, but it's not when you understand the context and you rightly apply it and divide it. Number eight. If someone ignores these instructions on how to speak in tongues in order in the church, the scripture is clear. They're to be ignored. Verses 36 through 38. What? Came the word of God out from you or came it to you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual... Again, do you hear the tone? Paul's like, you think, you're, you think you've got all these great gifts and it's all about people looking at you. He says, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Paul's like, listen, if they ignore you, if they choose not to listen, they're to be ignored. They can just go on babbling. And then finally, he says here in verse 39, don't forbid people from speaking in tongues. Why does he say that? Because could God give to someone the manifestation of this miraculous gift to propagate the gospel to a people not in their native language. Sure he can. And so Paul says here in verse 39, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. And so there's 10 instructions for tongue speaking in the church. So if someone were to come to me and say, Hey, can God use the gift of tongues in our modern culture? I would say, Well, are they real languages? (laughs) Are they being used to spread the message of the gospel? And are they abiding by the instructions that Paul lays out here in 1 Corinthians 14? If so, then I am okay with that. I am open to that. I won't condemn that. But I'll just say this. I have never seen this in any church be practiced in this way. I grew up, I was a teenager, and I went to several different churches with friends from high school. And I was in services where these sign gifts were being demonstrated And never did I see these things being followed. It was confusing. It was awkward. And so this is where we have to rightly divide the word of truth and balance this. And again, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who would see things differently from me. And you know what? I'm not going to vilify them. I'm going to say, you know what? I disagree. But where we can agree, hopefully on the, 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 the scriptural principles of doctrinal truth, let's agree there on these secondary matters. If we disagree, we disagree. But I want to just point this out, too. And I think this is a great truth. You know, in the midst of all this correction, and all this area where Paul had to deal with a church that was misappropriating spiritual gifts, abusing them, having spiritual gifts magnify their own pride and their own ego, you know, knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. In the midst of all this, I think the lesson for me this week was is that God will use... um, Whatever means necessary to get the gospel to those who need to hear. That's what I see here in this passage and over in Acts chapter 2. God will use whatever means necessary to get the gospel to people. Even if it takes you going to a foreign country and you all of a sudden speaking in that country's language. Can God do that? Sure, He can. I heard of a guy who fell, knocked, knocked his head. I don't want to find out this way, but he fell and knocked his head and woke up at speaking fluent Mandarin Chinese. I have no idea how that could be explained. But you know what? I think this is a beautiful picture of the gospel, that God would give this spiritual gift to the first century church so that the message of the gospel could be carried forth. And of course, as always, Satan loved to take something that was from God and he loves to twist pervert and distort so that he can confuse. And so the question today is for us is will we use our spiritual gifts in his mission to evangelize to evangelize the lost and edify the church. Hey. I don't think God's looking for you to have the miraculous gift of an unknown tongue. How about our English words? Are they building up? Are they edifying? Are we using our spiritual gifts here in this local body for the evangelizing of the lost and for the building up of the body? God has given us our gifts to make more and better disciples of Jesus. May we purpose in our hearts to do that today. Let's pray together.